Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. Welcome to episode 30 of the Essendon People podcast, a round 21 review of the game against the Western Bulldogs and our round 22 preview for the game coming up against the Gold Coast Suns. Brendan, I'm happy to put my hand up and say I was wrong and fair to say that I didn't see that one coming. Yes, yes, I certainly didn't see it coming as well. And uh, uh, like you, I'm prepared to say I'm wrong. So neither of us can be uh, accused of being the Fonz and saying you can't say we're wrong. So we definitely are. Definitely were. Uh, pleasantly to, to be wrong, might I add. Um, yeah, and we're looking forward to, to talking about um, what happened on Sunday there. This is a, should, be, should be a good podcast, enjoyable. Definitely. Let's jump into it. So uh, round 21, as we said, we beat the Bulldogs by 13 points who uh, went into the round as the ladder leaders uh, as well. So it was no mean feat. Uh, we, a lot of talk this year about us getting a top eight scalp and we managed to get the biggest one available to us at the time. So some a team as well that's had, had the wood over us for the best part of sort of seven years or six or seven years. So uh, it was Essendon 15-7-97 to the Western Bulldogs 12-12-84. So if we jump into the stats, if you look at the stats, they actually beat us in a fair few of these. And I think it was evident to me in the first sort of five or ten minutes of the game. I think I remember saying to you, we just need to get our hands on the ball. It just felt like... I think a stat came up on the screen there early in the first quarter that they had had 50 disposals to, to our, you know, 23. They touched the ball, you know, more than twice as much as we had. So um, if we go through the stats, uh, they had two more kicks to us, 48 more handballs, 50 more disposals overall, 17 more contested possessions, 42 more uncontested possessions, and 32 more effective disposal um as well our disposal efficiency however was more than theirs uh set at 80 percent, which is quite good for a team overall so um brendan this is another one of those games where the stats maybe lied a little bit and uh despite them being on top in all facets of the game i guess our conversion is probably something that helped us as well uh, we, were, we were quite accurate and you know for weeks we've been saying uh, you've been saying as well that um you know good kicking is is good footballs and wins games so that, that really rang true in this one, didn't it? Yeah, I think uh, it certainly did there. And I guess the of those stats you just mentioned, I think the one that kind of stood out to me was the disposal efficiency at 80% there. It kind of talks to uh, us not being under as much pressure. I think uh, talk about a lot of the tackles there. It wasn't a, wasn't a great number of tackles in the game. So we were able to kind of clear the ball easily, hit up forwards, kind of really disrupted their defence. I know there was a lot of talk after the game that, we tried to kick, tried to kick off the line and move the ball off the line, meaning you know we didn't just bomb it straight into to defenders. You kind of move the ball sideways a bit more on those entries inside fifty. So a good example of that is probably if people remember the uh, the second kick inside fifty to Aaron Francis, where he kind of dove and kind of um, marked it and then dropped it. That was a lot of that ball coming in. That uh, the big uh, Jake Stringer kick across the body, that big kick inside 50 to Peter Wright's advantage. That was uh, 
kind of what what they were looking to do. So, um, yeah, it was as you said, Bulldogs had a lot of the stats, but I guess the only stat that matters is the uh, is the scoreboard, and uh, we were on and on top at the end of the game. So I guess we'll kind of start with the first quarter there. So we had um, that uh, had the kick the one goal two to the three goals three for the Dogs. They had. Uh, more scoring shots and went at a better conversion rate than we did in that first quarter. We only had the three scoring shots and went at 33. They had the six at 50%. I guess that first quarter, what I really liked about that, that first quarter was our um, ability just to hold on and play defensive football. They were getting a lot of ball inside 50 and the way the back line really held up, uh, especially early. And then the, uh, the mids kind of started putting a bit more pressure of the ball coming in. But we just couldn't just couldn't get the ball out of the back line there in that quarter. What did you make of that quarter market? How do you think we turned it around going into the second? Yeah, I think the same as what you just mentioned there. I was really pleased to see us keep our cool and keep our head. Uh, I guess early in that quarter, we're getting towards the halfway mark of that quarter. don't know what you felt like, but it felt like it could easily blow out to, you know, being five, six goals down at quarter time. They were just getting their hands on that much footy and generating inside 50s, and we weren't you know, really, we were sort of making the most of the times that we did go forward and having shots on goal. But um, I yeah, felt like that they could have sort of blown the game open there at, at a couple of times if we had dropped their head and we didn't, which was good. So, um, yeah, I think the composure in that first quarter was good, which probably set us up for the second quarter. Um, so in the second quarter, maybe perhaps going in with a bit more belief, um, we managed to kick the six goals straight. And uh, that was as opposed to their three goals too. So we won that quarter by 16 points, which was um, obviously largely off the back of our 100% conversion to their 60%. So uh, that left us going into halftime, Brendan, with a three-point lead. Yeah, yeah. And that's um, you look at the stats at halftime there, it was only three points different, but they had two more scoring shots, 11 to nine, but conversion rate was at 54 to 77 so that was obviously the difference in that in that second quarter, and that's you know kind of what we've been talking about a lot is uh, if we get that conversion rate up, we're playing good enough football that we can um, we we'll start to win some games, which is good. So came out after after half time, uh, scored the four goals two uh, to the dogs two goal six, uh, had the eight scoring shots to the six. So again, conversion we went at sixty six percent, they went at twenty five percent. Uh, they had, they were, we were pretty, I, I think we were a bit lucky as well. A lot of their missed shots were the balls hit the post. I think maybe three or four times they hit the post during the game there. And there were some easy ones. I think Libba hit one from the top of the goal square. I think Bruce snapped a couple on his non preferred. I think even Norton hit one as well. So I guess we were pretty, pretty lucky to, um, us to convert. And it wasn't like big misses. It was kind of, fine margin. So at three-quarter time, we led by 11 points there and then moved into the fourth quarter. I thought we had a a really good quarter in the fourth quarter. We had the uh, seven scoring shots to to five. Um, Bulldogs converted at 80%, kicking the four goals one. Us at 57% at the four goals three. Won the quarter by two points. Ended up winning the game by 13. Um, how scared were you in that last 10 minutes when the when the run come? They started kicking a couple of goals and we got a couple of dodgy free kicks and one free kick in particular I think we'll talk about a bit later. Uh, yeah, I was I was nervous. 
to be honest, I was uh, I remember looking at the clock and seeing that we were thirteen points up with forty two seconds to go, and I was doing the maths in my head how many goals they would have to kick in twenty second blocks to uh, to get us. And I thought, surely they're not going to score three times in, in the final forty seconds. So uh, I guess maybe I was a little bit scarred as a as an Essendon supporter after many years, but. Um, yeah, definitely. Once it got down to below sort of a minute and a half, and there was a couple of times where we had control of the ball, I sort of was able to enjoy a little bit more. But yeah, even into that last minute, I was, I was still nervous, even though they needed to kick three. So uh, I actually felt like, if you look at that uh, breakdown that we just did, we won three of the quarters we won, not by big margins, but we won three out of the four quarters. And like you said, maybe a bit lucky in some respects, they hit the post a number of times and had some narrow misses. Um, but that's football and that's what it is comes down to a bit of luck as well so uh i actually thought in the last quarter we were playing that well probably deserved to win by three or four goals i thought uh, which is what the margin was with about five or six minutes to go and like you said maybe just uh, a couple of uh, dubious decisions and things didn't go away and uh, we ended up winning by 13 which we'll well and truly take because um yeah like we've said we weren't expecting this result and it's definitely one to enjoy on a sunday afternoon so with that, uh, we will jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. So, did you want to get us started off, Brendan? Oh, of course. I think uh, you can only start with the key forwards there and the uh, the red-headed super twins in uh, Peter Wright and uh, Aaron Francis there. Obviously, we all know Wrighty there had the uh, – kicked the seven goals from the ten disposals, had the seven marks as well, nine score involvements. Uh, just, a, just a super – a, a real – a real breakout game and a game that, you know, he can be really proud of. And hopefully um, we talk a lot a lot about Peter Wright, Mark, how he is a confidence player. And hopefully now, you know, he's only 24, 25. He knows he can be a dominant forward at AFL level. Hopefully this is the, uh, the first game of many performances um, into the years that he's really, really strong. You know, the goals are great, but it's more how he competed. Just his kind of efforts and his body work, I thought that was really good. Yeah, and I think if we, if we look back to the notes from our um, podcast from round one, I remember discussing that uh, he was getting pushed off the ball too easily. We said he was kind of like a plastic bag in the wind, you know, he was just falling over and getting pushed about for someone who's so big. And that's definitely not the case now, which you can only assume is, is based on his confidence over the weeks going up, which has been visibly but noticeable in some of the games. So, um, yeah, it was really good to see uh, to see him playing really confident and um, and believing in himself. And then I think Aaron Francis the same. He probably looked at a little bit lost up forward last week, but this week uh, led with real purpose, attacked the ball with purpose, strong hands, competed. Even if he didn't mark it, it was an almost mark. So um, and he looked fired up as well. So I think both of those guys uh, really benefited from just a drop of confidence, uh, really, which really helped them. Um, if we have a look at a couple of other players here, so a bit of run and drive from half back uh, was fairly strong. Nick Hind and Tom Cutler. To be honest, at times I thought that Nick Hind wasn't having his best day. Um, he made a few mistakes. Um, there was a couple of things that maybe cost us uh, to turn the ball over or, or score against or whatever. But it wasn't. It was just one of those days for him at that point in time where it just doesn't go your way. It can't be good every week. It was nothing personally that he was doing wrong but I think what was really admirable was that he turned it around he just kept fighting kept pushing and um, ended the game with 23 disposals at 82% efficiency 
had the five marks, uh, four score involvements, going to have clearance as well, four rebound 50s and four intercepts. Sorry, five rebound 50s and four intercepts. And Tom Cutler, um, a guy who, you know, found himself, wasn't even in the side, probably going back a few weeks ago and through a few injuries, got an opportunity and maybe a little bit of a different role for him down back as well. He's probably normally plays that wing role, but that's probably sort of filled in this year uh, by the likes of uh, Cox and Ham and those guys when they're playing. So, um, Cutler's gone back and uh, he had 22 disposals at 77% efficiency, took the eight marks, um, kicked a behind two, nearly nailed a long goal there, had three tackles, uh, which is good, three score involvements, four inside 50s, uh, a clearance, six rebound 50s and an intercept as well. So a lot of Cutler's disposals um, were, uh, I guess, uncontested of those 22 disposals, but that's the style of game he plays. It provides us a lot of run and carry. And I, I think on the... Stats, we often talk about the metres gained and how valuable that is. But I think it was over 600 metres gained to him as well. So it just goes to show that he got a lot of the ball and provided a lot of creativity for us. Yeah, I think with, with Cutler in particular, a lot of his possessions when he was kicking, he was kicking over players. So I think that was really valuable. He was kicking over one contest to the contest behind it there. So we kind of he was able to progress the ball forward really well. And that kind of really helped helped our, our mids there because the ball had cleared the zone. And I think that's obviously his kicking, his, his real weapon there, along with his size and his, his versatility there. But, you know, the, the rebound 50s there, we had we were plus 24 uh, on the dogs there. That was, a, that was a real big difference in, um, you know, they obviously we talked earlier how they had a lot of ball. They had 20 more inside 50s than we did, you know. So the ball was getting into our forward line a lot more. So there was obviously chances for us to rebound it out of there. And um, I think Hine and Cutler did a really good job in um, both different types of players as well. Hines more uh, moves the ball through his run and stuff like that, whereas Cutler's more through kicking. So it was good to have that that different type of style there and really um, it was really hard to match up on. And I think we'll move on to, uh, to the mids there. They obviously starred the clearances. We dominated there. We had, you know, plus 16 clearances overall, you know. Six of those were centre clearances and 10 of those were stoppage clearances. Interesting that we uh, really had a big uh, focus on the stoppage clearances this week. In the past couple of weeks, we've really been beaten in stoppage clearances around the ground. So it's good to see us get the uh, 29 to the uh, Dogs 19 there. So it was the, it was the usual suspects, you know. Uh, Zachy Merritt, Darcy Parrish, Dylan Shield and Jake Stringer. All had a high number of clearances. So I'll start with uh, Zach. Zach had the 30 disposals at 86%. Had the uh, had the six marks, seven score involvements, five clearances. Uh, Darcy had the 28 disposals at 75% efficiency, uh, nine score involvements as nine clearances. Dylan Shield had 19 disposals at 74%. Uh, the four inside 50s and six clearances. And Jakey Stringer only had the 13 disposals, went at um, 76%, but he had, you know, six score involvement, six inside 50s and seven clearances. So I thought, you know, it was funny to see how Merrick can have 30 and Stringer can have 13, but I thought their games were equally as strong. (laughs) Yeah, no, I guess um, important to note too, like we spoke in the last week's podcast about how good the dogs midfield was and how much of a challenge it was going to be for us. And I guess for those guys to go head to head with one of the best midfields in the comp and, uh, and beat them, 
was was really good. So, um, yeah, hats off, hats off to those guys. On to some more, um, I guess, unheralded players and lesser like sort of spoken about players. Um, Dylan Clark, we thought had a good game. He had 19 disposals. Uh, he had the five marks. He went at nearly 80%. Uh, had four tackles. Uh, the five score involvements and five inside 50s as well. And Will Snelling, um, another guy, very unselfish player who a lot of his uh, work rate probably goes um, unnoticed to the to the average viewer So um, who, who doesn't follow Essendon. So Will Snelling had the 12 disposals at 75% uh, efficiency. I guess what really stands out here, he had 10 tackles. So um, his tackles and his uh, pressure efforts um, – and one percenters and things like that are always well up there. And if you watch his game, I remember we were saying to each other early in the game, like, "Gee, Snelling's just a beast!" Like the way the way that he's playing here and stuff. He does he does a lot of little things, just pushing and running to players to stop the next option. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make the stat sheet that you that you kind of only get from watching him closely in the game. So, yeah, Dill Clark and Will Snelling um, both had really big games, really important games for us as well. Yeah, I think it's really important that we uh, we highlight the unheralded players there because um, it's easy to talk about the stars like Merritt, Parrish, all those type of things, but it's really good to focus on um, the, the lesser lights there. And, you know, as you talked about, Will Snelling, 10 tackles from such a, a little fella. He's always in there and he's competing. And, you know, Dylan Clark there, he's not really playing as a midfielder there. He's kind of playing uh, in a couple of different roles there. It's kind of like the... We're just where they need a body. They play him there for a quarter or a half or there. So, but um, for him to come back and play that role, and um, especially from the injury that he's had, it, it's really good that he's uh, trying to get back into the side. And hopefully he can um, he can have a bit of luck for the next two games, get selected, play well, and then maybe into the future. Yeah, I'll just quickly on Dill Clark, we'll digress a little bit here, but um, he's obviously had very limited opportunity this year. From the couple of games we've seen, if he continues this form through the last couple of games, do you think he's done enough to earn another spot on the list next year? Uh, potentially. I think it's kind of a bit like Cutler. I think a month ago, Cutler was umming and ahhing, maybe, maybe not. But he's come in, he's played some decent football, and I think he's probably more likely to get another contract than not. And I think it obviously depends there how he, how he plays and how his body fills up and the overall list balance. But... I've always liked Dylan Clark as a player because he adds something different to our midfield. He's a bit taller. He's a bit bigger. He can do a tagging job, even though we don't seem to um, to, to use a tagger. Uh, yeah, but he certainly adds a different he's a different type of midfielder to what is a, a bit of a smaller midfielder that we have. And if he's managed to add some strings to his bow by playing in multiple positions, I think, yeah, he's definitely, especially if he's on the rookie list, so on the rookie list, he, he's good enough to get another, another contract there. Bloke that's versatile, has a strong body. Uh, he's very fit generally, you know. So he keeps himself in good shape and is a, seems to be a good clubman around the, at the club there. So I'd like to see those guys rewarded uh, when you can. Speaking of good clubman, uh, the next guy here that we had to talk about, uh, I might let you talk about him, Brendan, here. This is one of your boys, so I'll uh, hand back to you. Big Sammy Draper, <laughs> 39 hitouts, yeah, 11 disposals, uh, kicked a sausage roll, uh, nine score involvements, four clearances, two on sub 50s. Absolutely dominated, did Draper play. He's only played the, the night 18, 19 games. 
played against a much more experienced player in English and um and smashed him. We won the we won the hitouts by by 21, 48 to twenty seven there. And as you said, of that forty eight, um Drapes has got thirty nine of them. And it wasn't just the hitouts, it was hitouts to advantage. It was when the ball got to ground, it was his blocking and getting the midfielders first possession, kind of protecting them. Um Played a, played a dangerous role getting forward at times. But again, like we kind of suggested last week and how we would beat the Bulldogs, floated back, filled the hole, you know, just become became an obstacle to get around. He's uh, marking, you know, is pretty good. And if, if he doesn't quite mark it, he always brings it to ground to a dangerous area. So it's just we keep talking about how young and how inexperienced it is. Once he gets to, the, to your 50 games, to your 75 games, he could be uh, – a real, really top quality player in the competition. And, you know, a lot of our success in the clearances has probably got to do with him being on the ruck. And if he can get more time combining with your parishes, your merits, your stringers, shields, maybe even your Caldwell's, McGrath, and I have Perkins becomes a midfielder. Uh, you know, there's a there's a really good group there that he can grow with. He's, um, he's, Able to follow up his own work too in the centre. He doesn't just tap it and, and that's his role done. He's uh, And he's not a slow man either. He's fast carrying the ball and um, he's had four clearances on his own as well. So having someone like that who can leap up, tap it to advantage, like you said, but you know when it's on the ground, can also chase someone, put pressure on, win their own ball, dive on it. Uh, it very important. Uh, the efforts that he gives around the ground is, is as important as what he gives in the ruck. And he's always good for one or two times as a game are doing something completely out of the blue. You you wouldn't even think of doing that. And you're like, what what are you doing? But it always comes off. That's the thing. Very rarely does he do something a bit weird. You know, the whole Ruckman does something crazy and it goes bad. Very rarely. Whenever he does something a bit different, he seems to progress the ball forward or get it into space or do something unique. And, you know, what's, you know, all those things are really good, but... I think we talked about before about being a good club man. I think that's really you know, almost got to be his greatest weapons. You see in the rooms after ring, he's always bouncing around, he's singing the song, he's kind of doing something a bit different. He's got obviously got the big the big mullet there. He's obviously a real important guy in the locker room to getting people up. And I guess you really need that from from guys, especially seasons can be long, you can be losing games, it can be tough to have someone – that's kind of a guy that gets everybody up and really gets the people together. And I guess, you know, you can't really teach those things. But if you could, he's got no better mentor than uh, than Tom Bell Chambers there, who by all reports was that was that type of player for the group that he played with. He was the guy that kind of led a bit of the social activities and uh, got the boys up and about. And uh, come Monday morning after a big uh, Saturday night on the town, had some stories to tell and kind of just made um, – made everyone feel a bit better. And sometimes, you know, footy's tough sometimes. So, they, you know, just get, get little joys out of life. It's uh, it's good. On to the bad category. There wasn't many, obviously, but uh, there's a few we'll go through here. So, um, clangers and turnovers is something we sort of touch on each week and hoping to get the number down. I guess, uh, positively, the clangers, uh, they had four more than us. So, so I, I guess that's not too bad. We still had 41, though. Um but in the turnovers, we had seven more turnovers. So, again, if we can just reduce the number of times we're turning the ball over, it reduces the amount of times 
you're giving the opposition opportunity to, to come back the other way. Um, the next category here was tackles, which we mentioned a little bit earlier. So we did have the 54 tackles, which is pretty good. That was 17 more tackles than the Bulldogs. So our pressure was was well up. But if you look at the tackles inside forward 50, we only have the three uh, to their 10. So they were still putting a lot of pressure on us in our back line, trying to get it out of their forward line. And we weren't able to replicate that at the other end of the ground. So I guess that's where... Uh, where we're looking for a bit of effort from the small forwards, which we'll touch on in a second. Uh, the last category here, stats-wise, that we wanted to touch on in the bad category was, um, I guess, the, the marks. So uh, we had an even number of marks at 81 apiece, uh, but contested marks, uh, we were down by one, and uh, marks inside 50 we were down by seven. So marks inside 50 is quite telling. I mean, they've had 20 marks inside 50 to our 13. If you mark it inside 50, you're more or less... Uh, you know, within the, normally within the ability to have a shot. So if you're marking it 20 times inside 50 as they did, that's 20 shots on goal uh, potentially that you're having. So if we can get some of those uh, stats uh, evened up a little bit, the turnovers, you know, get our number down, get our marks inside 50 up and not let them have as many, um, I think it'll go a long way to, to helping us maybe be a little bit more dominant in games. Yeah, so you touched on the, the small forwards and I'll get to them now. So we're talking about, Guys like Alec Waterman, Matt Guelphy, and obviously Tipper there. Uh, they all kicked a goal, so and they all had multiple marks and uh, they had some, you know, score involvements in inside 50s. But I guess kind of just from looking at their games there, the, Waterman had the seven disposals, Guelphy had the seven disposals, and Tipper only had the five disposals. Um, they just didn't uh, – I didn't feel like they had much impact around the ground, right? And, you know, fair enough you might say – well, like a tip, do you really you want him to be inside fifty? That's that's what we want, and we talk about it a lot. But you mentioned we only had three tackles inside fifty for the game. We only had thirteen marks inside fifty for the game. And not all those marks, you know, those thirteen marks include the stuff that you know Wright was doing and Francis was doing. But a very, how many times is a big key forward going to take marks and kick goals like Wright does? We need we need more movement. We need those smaller feathers that you know the guys they little kicks inside 50 to those lead-up forwards, and that's what we're not getting out of the small and medium types at the moment. Just on Tipper, um, he was he was probably undoubtedly in all-Australian form for the first half of the year, and then after the break, he sort of faded a little bit, and maybe um, me and you have been discussing, is that maybe, do we think, maybe he's carrying a little injury? He's had a few heavy knocks, you know, the big knock in the, in the Adelaide game. There's been a few other games where he's ended up with a corky, um, as well, I think maybe the Sydney game from memory. So, uh, is maybe he doesn't seem to be moving as freely and doing the usual rundown chasing that he's doing. He's still giving effort when it's his time, but that sort of extra over stuff where he does a long chase down or a big hit on someone, he seems to be just maybe, um, yeah, maybe just not at 100% the way that he's moving. Maybe that's got something to do with kind of his, his drop off in form a little bit. Oh, I, I agree. And it's a long season there. And he definitely looks sore there, but I guess if he looks sore, do you maybe take a week off or something like that? You're a good player, you want him in the side, but you know, and you're not going to turn down a goal, especially when the margin's 13 points. So he's had, you know, it's had an impact there. But I guess we talk a lot about with the small forwards, what are you looking to get out of them? Are you looking to them to be big goal kickers or are you looking to them to be pressure players? And I guess, you know, Pressure is really important and, you know, 
in to only have the three tackles inside fifty, that's you know that's not really good enough. I don't think. I think we really got to, especially if we're wanting to play this Richmond way. Talk about how we're going to be like the mini Richmond. The key aspect of the Richmond game is the pressure inside fifty. Right, they played the Richmond. They played the big four, the one key forward with the small forwards there. Pressure, 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 and that's what we've got to do. Especially if we haven't got. We haven't got a revolt. We haven't got a Tom Lynch, you know. We haven't got a star key forward like Richmond do. What we've got a star is is star small. We've got Tip is a star of the competition, right? And the more tackles and pressure that he applies, the more goals that will come because he will create goals for his, you know, not only getting a free kick, but people worried, oh, where's Tipper, where's Tipper, and make a mistake, right? We talked before about Will Snelling having 10 tackles. He's doing it. Right, and he's probably getting up the ground a bit more, but he's definitely working hard inside 50, right? And the thing with Tipper, right, he's such a dangerous player. His kicking is underrated. People talk about his his, his goal ability and his craftiness. He's just general field kicking, and his kicking inside 50 is really important. And that's something – it's even more important. We lost, you know, Orazio Fantasia, and that was really one of his big weapons – for us, that hit-up kick inside 50. So we really need to get more out of Tipper. Waterman, you know, first year at the club, you know, he played against a good side. I'm not really going to hang him over that. And, and maybe Mac Welfie, that's not, you know, his bread and butter. But I think you still need more out of blokes that, you know, best 18, best 22, than seven disposals, you know. So hopefully they can lift. Onto the ugly category, uh, this one came out after the game. Well, I guess it started coming out during the game and finished off after the game. So in the last quarter, you mentioned a bit of a dubious decision there. Um, there was a couple to Bonds and Pally. One resulted in a goal that got them back to within 11 points, uh, which I think was a high tackle, which was probably there um, uh, at the time. And that was inside 50. The other one was, um, I think, just off half back or half forward where, Mason Redmond tackled Montempelli and it was ruled. I think we all thought, you know, holding the ball, great, we get the ball back. And then we heard the whistle go, we're, we're preparing to get the ball. And then they said, dangerous tackle. Um, so we were sort of baffled at the time uh, and probably didn't get much of a chance to see the replay. Uh, and then after the game, he got cited for a dangerous tackle and offered a one-week suspension. Um, so I guess that, that comes as a bit of a shock to us, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. I certainly thought, um, yeah, both free kicks went there. I think the first one was a was a Dylan Shield tackle on Bontempelli, which I think the ball got knocked out in the tackle and he lingered a little bit, so he got the free kick for that. And the second one there, I think, was definitely holding the ball because he had an eternity to get rid of it. And then because he kind of fought the tackle, Redmond brought him to the ground, and, they, and the, the argument was that it was, was reckless there. So the... The, the, the official wording of the charge against him was based on the available evidence. The incident was assessed as careless conduct, medium impact and high contact, drawing a one-match sanction with an early plea. So, you know, I disagree that it was a free kick. It should have been a free kick to Redmond, not against Redmond, <laughs> let alone uh, being charged. But uh, the good news is he's got off. All right, so... Uh, the key thing going in his favour was the medical report uh, and the fact that Bontepelli got up, took his kick, didn't need to be assessed really much any further. Uh, they decided to downgrade it to from medium 
to low. So I guess the interesting thing then is they did find his action to be a dangerous tackle, which was which was interesting. I wouldn't have done it that way, but we all know the AFL is moving towards uh, kind of making the head sacrosanct and protecting the player and duty of care and all those things. So I think from just from the wording there, they have found him guilty of a dangerous tackle, just that the impact has gone from medium to low. And as a result, he can take a $2,000 fine. Uh, but the positive news is he, he plays this week. I guess what's a little bit frustrating, like you said, good news that he's been cleared and he's going to play. But I guess what's frustrating in the whole process is just from the AFL, like it, I, I understand fully protect the head. And I think that's where it needs to get to is to make sure there's no, none of these concussion injuries and things that are causing long-term issues for people. But uh, what's annoying is that, you know, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, Lance Franklin elbowed a bloke in the head, uh, nothing to answer for. And then even on the weekend, Joel Selwood, uh, you know, tucked his elbow in and charged a bloke in the head who didn't have the ball, gave him a black eye and he was bleeding from the eye. And uh, I think he maybe copped a small fine or something. There was no, there was no real, nothing to answer for it again. So I, I think just a bit of consistency is what we're after. Like if you're going to protect the head, then it needs to be what's good for one is good for all, not just for the stars as opposed to the lesser knowns. Yeah. Well, I think a couple of years ago, maybe three or so years ago, they transitioned from the MRP, which was the match review panel, uh, to the MRO, which is a match review officer. So I went from a collection of individuals making a decision on on offences to just one person. And that's obviously Michael Christian, the former Collingwood Premiership player, and obviously he was a commentator back on the, on the Channel 10 days there. Um, yeah, and that was in the guise of trying to make it more consistent. Unfortunately, uh, it doesn't seem to, to be that way. And it, maybe it's a, a disconnect between the, the MRO... And the, uh, and the tribunal because, you know, MRO's kind of got – we talked before about reckless high impact. He's got he's kind of got like a checklist where he's got to watch the vision. Uh, was it high impact? Did he get in the head? That's high impact. Okay. That's high contact, right? Impact. Is it medium? Is it severe? What what constitutes severe? Is it being knocked out? Is it breaking a bone? Or, okay, that makes more sense. But difference between medium and, and low, what's medium, what's low, what's – not enough force to constitute a report, right? If, if a bloke gets straight up and takes his free kick and nothing happened, is that is that low or is that not enough force to constitute a report? Who knows what that is? So I think there needs to be some more clearer guidelines and maybe making that more available to the public to understand exactly what these things are. Uh, I think, like you said, with consistency, it's more... It goes to the tribunal, and then we're talking about like precedent. Well, you know, Bailey Fritch at the start of the year, the Melbourne player, put the elbow out. I, I think we all thought he was going to go for multiple weeks, and he ended up getting a fine, or might have even not even got that. Might have got off, got off straight out, and then that kind of leads to things where you can elbow a bloke in the head, and then you'd be fine. But you tackle someone, and you, you cop in a week, and what? Tackling someone's a football act. Elbowing someone in the head's not a football act. So, where does that all fall? Then you're overlaying guilty pleas, not guilty pleas, and you know, Toby Green, for instance, he's a <laughs> he got a week suspension this week for his elbow, but Buddy got off, <laughs> Bailey Fritch got off. What's what's the difference? It's all one bloke gets a week for an elbow, and someone else gets off. So it's a bit, it's a bit confusing. We just, I think. Same with umpires, Mark. All we ask for is consistency. 
<laughs> so we'll finish on something a little bit more positive. Uh, we'll, we'll wind out the first part of the podcast with our Essendon People Podcast Player of the Year Award, the Heath Hocking Medal votes. So um, maybe I'll let you go first, Brendan. Uh, you roll through your um, top five votes. Yeah, so with uh, one vote, I gave to uh, Will Snelling. I talked before about his tackles and his um, his impact across the game. I thought he, he was quite good. Uh, two votes went to Darcy Parrish. Uh, three votes to Zach Merritt. Obviously, two star on bowlers really played well. Uh, obviously, the clearance game was something really important to how we how we played. Parrish obviously kicked the goal as well. Um, Sam Draper got my four votes. Uh, I, I thought he was highly influential and, um, yeah, he played a really good game. And then, obviously, the five votes go to Peter Wright. Uh, I think if you, if, if you kick seven goals, Mark, I think you deserve to be best on ground. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll see uh, a similar result at the end of my vote. So my uh, my one vote I gave to Tom Cutler. Uh, mentioned earlier, I just thought that he played a really influential role in, uh, in what he was asked to do, sort of in that backline halfback sort of role. Um, my two votes went to Darcy Parrish, three votes went to Zach Merritt, four votes Sam Draper, and five votes the same as you with Peter Wright with the seven goals. So uh, with that, we might take a quick break and we'll come back with the second half of the show uh, with our preview of this week's game. It's a Gold Coast Sun. So nothing in the fixture is confirmed at this stage when we're recording, but our best guess uh, is that this might be played on Sunday afternoon at sort of maybe that 3.20 p.m. time slot again. Uh, it's It was always scheduled to be an away game. So uh, providing they that the clubs uh, that Essendon get clearance um, to travel, uh, it, it'll be up at Metricon uh, on the Gold Coast there. So... Um, this would be our last away game for the year, Brendan, in a, in a year that's had a lot of interstate games. So hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, in the home and away season, last last away game coming up. Oh, fingers crossed. We've got COVID next week, but that, that might be played on Mars the way we're, way we're going at the moment here with lockdown and stuff. So you never know. All right. So for our, um, for our injuries, there's probably... Not a whole lot to to note for injury, so maybe we'll just rather than go through the whole list, we might just touch on a couple that are maybe close. Jai Caldwell uh, with his hamstring is is listed, I think, on the AFL side as a test. I, I think that maybe it's a bit optimistic. I think uh, given his hamstring issues this year and in the past, I certainly hope the club would be quite conservative. And um, regardless of finals, I, I would not be rushing. Jai Caldwell back, I'd be getting him right for a big preseason and, and slowly loading him up. Uh, Dyson Heppel with his thumb uh, was tipped to miss between one or two weeks with his surgery. So he's missed the one week. Whether or not they rush him back this week or not remains to be seen. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how he's tracking. There hasn't been a great deal of sort of footage or anything of him training freely without the, the brace and stuff on. So that that's one that'll be close, but maybe not close enough this week. Um, outside of that, Kyle Langford is still two to three weeks, so uh, we won't be seeing him. And uh, Andy McGrath is edging closer. I think he's back running and everything now. He's sort of potentially in that sort of two-week time frame. But uh, again, I think it would be much too big a risk to rush someone back after a pretty serious knee injury. So um, I guess on the good news side of things, those guys are progressing well and they're not that far away, which uh, hopefully at the very least means that they get an uninterrupted uh, preseason. Yeah, yeah, certainly, um, certainly is positive on that front. There, as you said, don't want to rush guys back. You've had 
he's missed large portions of football or who had repeat injuries. And I guess, you know, the only other player there would be um be Kane Baldwin there. We think we talked touched on him last week and the week before. He's obviously not gonna play this year, but he's obviously edging closer to a full return from the knee, which then hopefully allows him to have a big preseason and maybe uh, come on into the side next year. Uh, moving on to the Gold Coast, they've got uh, as long an injury list as we do to a lot of players. And, um, you know, it being only two rounds to go, a lot of them are done for the year. Uh, of those, that's the big names there is obviously Jared Witts and Lockie Weller. They won't be playing. Uh, Wits with the knee and Weller with a concussion. Uh, Hugh Greenwood uh, and Brandon Ellis also won't be playing. There are obviously some some more high-profile players that have come across from Adelaide and Richmond, respectively. They they've got uh, Greenwood's got the knee and Ellis the hammy. Uh, Connor Buderick has got the knee. He's obviously quite a uh, quite a damaging defender for them. Good intercept mark. Uh, and then of those guys who are listed as tests. They've got uh, Jack Homsch with a sternum and Oleg Markov with a hamstring. Um, don't know if Homsch will get picked uh, there, but Markov has been uh, played at least a couple of games this year for Richmond, having so Gold Coast having come across from Richmond last year. So I guess we'll kind of move on to the key opposition players. And when you um when you're talking Gold Coast, there's kind of one name that comes to mind, and that's uh, and that's Took Miller there. Uh, absolute star player, will be All-Australian this year without doubt. He's had a massive year, uh, works hard defensively, wins his own ball, actually plays on and beats his man. I think kicked two goals last week. Uh, he's a guy because he plays at the Gold Coast and, you know, they're often not in these poor time slots on Foxtel. It doesn't really get much notice. They play at a big Victorian club like Essendon, Hawthorne, Richmond, uh, he'd, he'd already be an All-Australian. He'd be massive. He's a, he's a star, Took Miller. And um, I guess the player I would like to see go to him is Darcy Parrish. Uh, strong runner, uh, can compete on the inside with uh, with Miller and also is um, got a handy knack of going forward like we saw last week and kicking the goal. So maybe if you can uh, hurt him a little bit uh, offensively, he might, because he's such a team player, Took Miller, he won't want to let his teammates down, so he'll play a bit more reserved. Uh, next one is obviously the captain, uh, David Swallow. He's uh, been a good player for a long time there, Swallow. I guess um, the guy I'd like to send to him is probably Zachy Merritt, just because they're going to both play big midfield numbers, both very classy, both leaders of their football clubs. Um, Swallow probably doesn't have as much pace uh, these days, after all of his injuries through his career, but he's still he's still pure class and um, he's, he's the type of guy that lifts. Right? He lifts for big games, and um, I think Zach's, Zach's also someone like that. Uh, the next player is obviously Ben King, the big key forward, um, playing really well this year, continuing on some good form. Uh, I think James Stewart is the mo- most natural matchup, just given his size and athleticism. Uh, I think uh, the key to beating Stewart is going to be kind of like last week, stopping the ball, get into their forward line quickly. Uh, the midfielders doing their role, and if we can get um we can get King to engage in a wrestle with Stewart, I think that probably um goes to to our strength given the the 
big frame that Jimmy Stewart's got. Uh, who else have we got here, Mark? Yeah, Matt Rowell is obviously a much-talked-about young gun uh, for them. He's missed a bit of footy in the last couple of years and his first couple of years with um, with some injuries uh, to the shoulder and uh, to the knee, I think it was as well. So uh, he's a pretty big sort of brute uh, midfielder for, for a young bloke and can find his own footy. So a good matchup might be Jake Stringer. Uh, can physically match uh, young Matt Rowell um, as well and uh, has that explosiveness to go the other way and maybe keep him a bit accountable as well. So uh, that would be an interesting matchup. Uh, we've also got uh, Charlie Ballard, who we thought maybe Aaron Francis uh, is a suitable matchup. I mean, Francis is quite versatile, can, can take a mark up in the air. You know, he's got a bit of height, good leap strong hands, um, can move quite well when it hits the ground as well. So uh, good matchup there potentially. Um, Sam Collins, uh, pretty sort of tough defender. Uh, Peter Wright, I guess, is the informed forward for us now. So um, that's probably likely to be the matchup. Sam Collins is, is, is a pretty strong man. So you'd expect to see him maybe go to Peter Wright. Uh, Noah Anderson, one of the young mids, Um Maybe a Dylan Shield is maybe a good matchup. Someone with a big tank who can go with him and uh, and try and sort of match him for class as well. Uh, and do you want to round us out there with the last few? Yeah, so Alex Sexton is obviously, you know, has a happy knack of kicking goals and has an even happier knack of kicking goals against us. He's just one of those guys that kind of bobs up out of nowhere just when you don't want him to <laughs> kick a goal. So I guess... um. From the team selected last week, a good matchup will be Marty Gleeson. Marty's obviously a very crafty player, can read the ball well. Uh, he's kind of can play above his above his height as well as a strong mark is Gleeson, but can also maybe hurt Sexton going the other way. Um, next up is Jack Lacocious there. He's obviously a very tall, skinny defender. He likes to run off his man and really be aggressive with his kicking and set up the play. So I guess with, you know, with Collins going to right, as you said, Mark, in terms of height and strength, that makes sense. Uh, Charlie Ballard going to Francis. Again, Ballard dominated this last time we played, taking a lot of intercept marks, I think. Someone who can compete with Ballard in the air in Francis, I think it's real big. So that kind of doesn't really give us too many key forwards who are mobile and athletic. Athletic. So maybe this might be a game where we send Nick Cox forward. Uh, Cox is obviously tall, strong mark, uh, can, can run. I think maybe even if he plays as a defensive forward, as silly as it sounds, I think that might be a role because I think Lukosius is really key to how they set up. And again, I guess the last player is a, a player familiar to Essendon fans in um, in Jacob Townsend, obviously played for the Bombers last year, managed to go up on the Gold Coast, uh, played his first game for the Gold Coast uh, last week, t- kicked two goals, uh, played defensive pressure and really attack the ball really hard. And I guess um, <laughs> Mason Redmond gets a reprieve from the tribunal and he has to go to Townsend just because uh, Townsend's physicality and attack of the ball is his real weapon. I think Redmond's really the only guy we've got there you can kind of can bring that attack to. And I just, I wanted, we've ended on Townsend because I wanted to take the opportunity to congratulate him on, you know, on his performance last week. But even more, he's, um, post-game interview that he had with Fox Footy after the game. Most people won't know. I certainly don't know. I don't know about if you knew this, Mark, but Jacob suffers from a stutter. And by all reports, he um, as he gets more nervous, uh, the stutter becomes more pronounced. Um, and 
his bravery in in speaking in public, you know, being the guy they go to after the game on, on the coverage, we, we, is really important. I know my my own brother suffered from some speech issues growing up, and I I can I can attest to how difficult that that would be. So that alone just shows how how brave and tough that man is, and it's a uh, it's a real credit to him. Uh, to his family and to the Gulf Coast Football Club that he did that, and then <laughs> then you got to deal with his obvious toughness on the field. So <laughs> yeah, he's he's tough all around, Jacob. And yeah, just yeah, congratulations to him. So I guess we'll move on to the three questions, Mark. What's what's our first question? Yeah, so first question here um, is: Can a young side in the Bombers back up a good victory that we had over the Bulldogs, uh, but on the road against the Suns? So. We've got to travel. Uh, we've got to play a side in the Suns who's below us on the ladder, but have been in some pretty good form the second half of the year. Um, they've been able to, to get a couple of scalps themselves and hang about that sort of position going for the eight uh, as well. So they're not that far away from where we are um, on the ladder and in terms of form. So, yeah, are we able to back up a really good result and have another good result? I, I, hope, we, I hope we can. Uh, you know, obviously... Two weeks ago, they had a bit of a, a bit of a letdown Gold Coast against Melbourne, where they got blown away. But last week, they they played really well and, and got the win. So um, they're certainly capable. Uh, this is I'm kind of more worried about us than them. Is in like this is a kind of maybe a letdown game for us. We had the big the big shock win against the the ladder leading Bulldogs. We, maybe do we get you know ahead of ourselves a little bit with a young side there? Um, I think it's all going to kind of Click. We're going to play. There's lots of talk about us potentially making finals. The draws opening up, uh, you know. So I would hope that the coaches really reinforce uh, that we need to still keep winning, uh, and that we haven't achieved anything yet. Uh, certainly haven't achieved anything in terms of winning a final, which we all know has been a long time. So I definitely think we we can win. Uh, I would expect that we do win. I don't think it's uh, going to be a foregone conclusion, or or it's going to be a smashing or anything like that. But I think we can do it. But I just think um, what I would like to see, Mark, is a nice mature performance where we show an identifiable structure to what we're looking to achieve, and we execute. Yeah, I think that's pretty well said. Yeah, like you said, there's uh, it's a it's a bit of a danger game more for for us than what it is for for them i guess in terms of the performance that we might put up so um yeah hopefully we can carry that momentum and like so just have a mature performance where we where we play a brand of footy that we've been training to play all year um the second question uh we had here was it's a bit of a, a bit of a battle of the key forwards for this game so We've got the uh, the young gun in uh, Ben King down forward for Gold Coast, and we've got, I guess, our uh, up and coming uh, guy that we've tr- we've traded in for this year, who in uh, Peter Wright, who's in red hot form after last week. So um, it should be an interesting battle. Both guys who are who are very tall uh, can still move when the ball hits the ground. Um, both accurate kicks as well. So it's just about, I guess, both teams getting them supply. Um, we, we probably haven't been used to seeing sort of, you know, the shootouts that we used to see with, uh, you know, Carey at one end and Ablett at the other or Lockett or, you know, Lloyd, those sort of sharpshooters uh, who had plenty of shots on goal and converted plenty. But um, are we maybe in for a bit of a treat to two sides who can play a similar sort of brand and provide provide both of their forward options uh, good supply and opportunities to have shots on goal? Well, 
I hope so because I'd like to see it, but I'd also hope not because I'd like to see us be defensive and uh, be able to restrict the Gold Coast score. I guess from what's been obvious this year is that, you know, it's much publicised last week. We've lost three games having kicked over 100 points, which means we're scoring plenty, but we're also leaking a lot as well. So I guess the, the next evolution in our game is to continue that high scoring, uh, but to reduce their ability. But, yeah, it certainly uh, certainly will be a, a good game to watch. Uh, the goal case seemed to match up on us. Uh, last year was obviously the draw with, uh, I think it was Isaac Rankin uh, kind of missed that shot late. And then it was, uh, I think the year before that was the, was the Stringer game where he kind of turned it on there for the last quarter there. And I think the time before that, I think, was the old switch hooksy forward there in the dying uh, in the dying moments there to, to to win one for us. So there's been um there've been some pretty good games in recent years. So it's kind of kind of like the Swans there, how it kind of just just seems to eventuate that way. So um it'd be interesting to see how Peter Wright goes against his old club there, whether that provides him with any additional motivation. And then sometimes that that motivation might not be a good thing because he might try too hard as opposed to just playing his game and he really wants to show his former club how he's going and then he doesn't quite um, kind of overworks and overthinks it. Um, but, yeah, I think with with uh, with King, I think, like I said before, James Stewart is probably a good matchup. Uh, I think the midfield has got to do a number in restricting the ball that gets in there. We talked before how... The Bulldogs had a lot of inside 50s, even though we won the clearances last week. So they've probably got to tighten that up a little bit. Uh, the inside 50s that come in, it's kind of got to be poor disposals in there. King's obviously quite tall, so he can kick it on his head and mark it. But I think he's more like his brother's more kind of, if you give him any space and he beats you on the lead, then he uses his strength and his, his strengths are his, obviously his pace off the mark and his jumping ability. So I think if, uh, if Stewart can kind of, Curtail him, maybe play in front. You know, use his bulk if you can see one out the back, so be it. But just don't get beaten in front. I think might might be the way to go. And then with uh, with Wright, I think it's uh, just about lowering the eyes and hitting him up. I think uh, with Wright, it's also going to be important that we use Aaron Francis. I think was a real thing that happened last week because we went to Francis early. Everyone was worried about Francis marking. He presents. You know, when he leads out, everyone. The SNM players and the opposition can see how dangerous he is. So then all of a sudden, everyone's worrying about Francis, Francis. And then Peter Wright can kind of use his height and his ability, his long kicking and kind of good below his knees. And, you know, he can just kind of get a goal here, a goal there. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, he's hit five, six, seven goals. So, um, yeah, I guess that would be uh, the, the thing from my perspective. What did you think, Mark? Yeah, I think what you said at the end there is uh, really true in that Peter Wright is able to generate goals not just by taking big contested pack marks and going back and kicking them from 50 out of the boundary. He's able to just generate, you know, the other week he, he rode his own ball off the back of a pack. He hit another one this week where he got out in space. He's quite a smart player. He knows where to get. He knows when to when to come out the back and uh, and be an option over the top. So, um, he's able to create goals for himself, even if the opportunities conventionally aren't presenting. Uh, and I think um, what you said at the start is true too, that we ideally, we don't want to see a shootout because uh, defensively we want to see our side obviously shut down Ben King. And like you said, he's quite athletic, got good lead. 
good hands. So if we can uh, have the back line work together to cut off that and the mids sort of stem the supply uh, so that those options aren't presenting for him, then um, hopefully we see, like you said, maybe a bit of a double team with Wright and Francis again generate some goals um, with the with the small forwards as well chipping in this week would be would be a handy addition as well. So uh, that takes us probably to our last question here. So I guess a lot of Bomber fans last week were maybe talking about, you know, summing up the year and what have the positives been and we're sort of working towards looking at maybe what we can get in the draft and, you know, we're pretty well nearly done for finals. But with an unexpected win there against the Bulldogs, uh, we're sort of back in the finals talk as well. So um, if we win this game... What do you think our chances are realistically of maybe getting back into the top eight and potentially playing finals football this year? I think they're good. I think we, uh, we were kind of just before we started the podcast, Mark, we had a bit of a chat about it in that <clears throat> at the moment we're sitting ninth. Uh, I think we're two points behind GWS who eighth and a full four points, which is obviously one game behind West Coast in in seventh. Uh West Coast seem to be playing the poorer of the uh, of the three sides there. I don't think they're going too well at the moment there. Uh, they've obviously got Fremantle next week, which I guess I think Fremantle are playing some okay football, but it's going to be a derby, derby, however you you want to say it, depending on where you were. Those games, type of you can't really pick them. They're just you know what happens there. And I guess uh, the game after that is Brisbane in Brisbane, so. I guess we kind of we need West Coast to to maybe drop one game, hopefully two. I think if they drop one game, um, or if they win one game, they're definitely locked into seventh because I don't think either us or GWS will be able to jump them on points. Uh, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting. So GWS they have Richmond and then Carlton. So now nah, it's a tough game against Richmond. Not sure how well Richmond's going at the moment, but I certainly wouldn't want to want to count them off. And um, obviously Carlton, well, you know, got a big smile on both our faces when we just said Carlton then. Uh, they're, they're no chop and uh, they they wouldn't pose uh, a problem uh, against a uh, countryside at the moment. So uh, that's fine. That's a definite win for GWS there. And then um, then there's us and then there's obviously on our, on our heels of Richmond. So... Richmond are on the same points as us. They have obviously JWS, which is a, a 50-50 game, I think, at this stage. But then they also have Hawthorne in the last game there. So well, I think we're 103% and the Tigers are 100 or thereabouts. So we've got three percentage points there. So yeah, if we can beat the Suns this week and then Collingwood next week, I think we are a good chance because I think West Coast and Gina West could potentially lose at least one of those games each. Uh, and then I guess with Richmond there, if they win both their games, they could maybe jump us if they had a big win against against Hawthorne there. But I think a very long way of going about it, Mark, is we've got to win both games and hope the results go our way, <laughs> which is um, which is good that we're in the hunt. But I guess going forward, you kind of you don't want to be in the position where you're relying on results to go your way. You really want to be able to to get in there in, under your own steam. Yeah, I think that's right. That's probably a valuable learning experience for next year and the year after is that, um, yeah, if this side keeps progressing, 
uh, yeah, you want to be comfortable at this stage of the year that you, that you find yourself in a position to, to go and play finals, like similar position to what, say, a Sydney or a Brisbane or a Port Adelaide or someone like that is, knowing that you will be playing it and you're preparing for it. So uh, nonetheless, we didn't expect to be in this position. So it's a chance to grab an opportunity. And uh, yeah, like you said, put simply, we've got to win both games and one of the two sides above us in, in um, GWS or West Coast have to lose at least one of those games. Well, what do you think, Mark? I'll put it on you. You ask me. Are we going to win? Uh, are we going to get in there? Are West Coast and GWS going to fall over? What, what are the Tigers going to do? How, how do you see the last two weeks of football? Uh, yeah, I think GWS um, has got a reasonably difficult run and West Coast as well have a couple of tough games. So uh, I think my gut feel is is that West Coast being sort of out of form, GWS has been sort of in, in some form, but you know they're going to be without Toby Green this week. So I could see both of those sides falling out potentially as early as this week. And then that leaves the destiny in our hands. If we can win both games, which we should be capable of winning based on what we've um, put up this year. And then I think uh, Richmond as well, like you said, you can't count them out. So I could easily see GWS dropping out, West Coast dropping out, us going in and Richmond going in. So we could finish as high as seventh, uh, remarkably. So now we're getting into the real uh, fortune teller, kind of looking at the crystal ball stuff. Sydney are currently... What are they, sixth? Right. They obviously um, not going to be able to play a home final in uh, in New South Wales. Brisbane are currently fifth. Uh, they'll probably be able to play a home final at the Gabba. Uh, do we want to finish seventh or eighth? S- finish eighth, we probably cop Brisbane. Seventh, we cop Sydney. Can we beat – we, we've obviously had a lot tighter tussles with, with Sydney there, but – the danger factor is Buddy. <laughs> Buddy could turn it on and kick his thousands in a final, and that'll really hurt us, considering how much damage damage he's done to us over the journey. And then another big loss to Sydney in a final, which is obviously the last final we played. Uh, Brisbane, you know, are they playing as good a football? I don't mind that matchup, but I think I said to you before, if we are uh, if we got done in a final and Danaher was the man to. Uh, to kick the goal to put us away, that'd be a that'd be a double dagger in the heart. <laughs> what, what do you? I've almost talked myself into not wanting to play finals now. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I mean, and it's a, it's a good chance that we don't play finals. If we drop if we drop the game this week, then you can forget about it. So um, you got to win first to get there. But I think, like you said, there's really no good option. And I guess that's the case when you make finals or if you make finals, but. Uh, I really honestly couldn't pick between the two. I, it gives me nightmares to think that Buddy would kick his thousandth against us, which uh, would be fitting considering how many goals he has kicked against us. So I really don't want that to happen. And then, uh, as you said, Brisbane sort of had the better of us and there's, there's the Danaher factor. So um, I don't know. I don't really have an answer for you. I dread both of those scenarios. <laughs> as as painful it would, it, it would be for Buddy to... Uh to do us because just because he's done us so many times, it feels like he's kicked a thousand goals against us anyway. So <laughs> it would almost be expected if he did, if he did kick a bag and if he, if he kicked a thousandth goal against the team that he's kicked, you know, the most goals against it kind of like looking at it from a non essential point of view, there is some romance there that buddies, the ones that kind of do us there. And obviously the tight tussles we've had with the swans and all that, but 
I really don't want it to be Joe to to do us right. Like the taste of beating Brisbane and sticking it up, Joe would be great. But I think the fear of Joe beating us is worse. <laughs> it's greater. I don't. Want, I'd rather not play the game at all and not have that risk. I, I think the thing that gets me about Buddy the most is not not so much the day that it happens or whatever. It's watching the thousand times that it gets replayed for the rest of our lives after it. So um, I, I just don't want to have that vision. Uh, it's like watching the Gary Rowan mark every time you see it come on uh, on some footage or some highlights, things like that. We had the, the Tony Lockett point. Um, Sydney's done us a few times with things like that, and it's uh, it's not what I really want to watch forever for the rest of my yeah. day in highlight yeah. packages. But but to that point, Mark, just another thing that hops into the highlight package. So, you know, by the time you get up, you get up to the buddy destroying us in a final. You've already seen us lose six times to Sydney by. You've seen the plugger kick. You've seen the Rowan Mark. You've seen old mate jump on a goalpost. Right? You've all you've all those daggers in the heart are already there. So already out. Right? Whereas with Brisbane and. and It'll be Joey, and it'll be you know what it'll be. It'll be the day that he kicks straight, and he kicks him from everywhere, and he'll kick fucking eight goals, and he'll look like a superstar, and he just and he'll just be like, oh, I can't. I'm so. Uh, we said it earlier in the year. We'll, we won't mention his name again, just because how <laughs> how upset it was making me. But oh, I'm still so sad about it, Mark. It's it's, it's a pain that's not going to go away. Right, it's not it's not quite at the level, but it's almost got a little bit of wanganine about it. Where every time he played, I when he left, uh, it just hurt, and I pined over it for for the rest of his career. And every time you see him, it's oh god! Imagine if we still had wangers. It was just oh, it just hurt, Mark. I can't get over it. I'm fucking <laughs> thirty one, almost small there. The first time all year, almost almost small. 31, and I'm carrying on like a fucking like a dit squared in. I'm carrying on like a like a ten year old. Ah. <laughs> With that, we might uh, we might park that that conversation about finals till next week when we uh, we have a bit more certainty about which way the the cards have fallen. So we'll we'll move into that next week. Um, we'll quickly go through some possible changes for this week. Um, so Heppel, we said is maybe. Maybe a chance to come back, maybe another week. Uh, if he comes back, I think it's going to be a straight swap for Gleeson, I would have thought. Um, now that Redmond is going to remain in the side, he's been cleared. Um, so uh, I guess outside of that, we mentioned earlier that maybe maybe Tipper needs a rest if he's carrying something or he's a little bit sore or something like that um, and not being able to, to run at his best. Maybe he needs a week off to kind of get that right. Uh, if that's the case, we've got Perkins, who was the medical sub, who maybe can come back in can play that half-forward role, put a bit of pressure, creative, can kick goals, has shown that he can do that. Uh, I guess other, other guys that are waiting on the outskirts there for an opportunity again is uh, is maybe a Braden Ham uh, on, on a wing sort of role there or a half-forward role. So not sure exactly who would uh, come out for him to be able to come back in. But um, you're looking at maybe, a, I don't know, a Guelphi or something and then reshuffle the side. Not 100% sure there, but... Uh, what what are your thoughts on? Do they rush Heppel back? Does he get a rest, or do we just go in unchanged? I wouldn't rush Heppel back. I'd, I'd happily give him the extra time, but I get I get the feeling they will do that because they've done it in the past so many times. Um, feel feel for Marty really. He's played what three times this year, and he's played 
I think he's played well three times this year. I don't think he's played a bad game. He's just kind of, I guess it's kind of where he's at at the moment there. He's kind of comes in from one out when he's available. Uh, Perkins, uh, obviously, sat on the bench last week. Um, I don't know if he comes in. I think Tipper, again, I don't know if they're going to do this play Tipper no matter what just because he can, he can have a five-minute patch where he wins a game, you know? It's the type of player that he is. Um, if they haven't rested him as of yet, why would they do it now? I'm not sure. Ham, you know, I'm a I'm I'm a believer in Ham. I like Braden Ham. I like what he brings. Um, I guess, like you said, just going about finding a spot and where he is at the moment. Uh, no VFL football, so he can't really press his case at a lower level. I think it's kind of Waterman, Guelphie, Cutler, Ham are all kind of um, you know rotating for that spot. It might just be horses for courses type scenario there. If they see, you know, if Gold Coast have a lot of runners and they need a bit more pace in the game, maybe they bring Ham in. Um, Sam Durham, I think, has played some pretty good football, but whether or not they think he, he's tiring or not, he's only, you know, coming to the club mid-season, maybe the two, three games is all, all he needs. Maybe he needs a rest, I'm not sure. Um, I certainly wouldn't drop Durham on form there. I think he's He's done enough to keep his spot there, but maybe that's something they look at. Um, yeah, I think other than that, I wouldn't really make too many changes. I know last week we went on a whole <laughs> bit of a rant in terms of all the options you could play there. So I don't really think a, a Ned Cahill would come in. I don't think there would be a need to bring in a, a Nick Bryan and play two rucks. Um, yeah, so I guess it's um, especially with a – with Redmen now being cleared and playing, I think uh, we might go in uh, unchanged. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think we're likely to see see an unchanged lineup. So, um, not a bad thing when you've come off a good win. Uh, so we move into the result and the margin. Uh, for for me, on backing us in to get this done, uh, I think, like you said, we've had some close games against them in the past. So uh, I'm going to tip us by 15 points. I think it'll be relatively close during the whole game and hopefully we're on the better end of that at the at the last siren. So uh, Bombers by 15 points for me. What about you? Uh, also, the Bombers, uh, I'm going to go by four goals. So one goal a quarter, you know, there's no logic behind that, but I guess that's what I'll, that's what I'll go to. Um, I guess, you know, obviously want the win, but just like I said earlier, I just want to see a professional, professional game, execute a game plan and kind of, um, yeah, see if we can kind of get a bit of momentum going into a hopeful finals campaign. So with that, we'll uh, wrap up with uh, just a reminder of social media, Facebook and Instagram, uh, SNN People Podcast. You can find us um, on there for any updates. Uh, anything else to add, Brendan, before we say goodbye? No, just, um, you know, go Bombers. And uh, if anyone's got sensitive ears, I'm, I apologise there. But as we said, it's been 30 episodes. This is the first time we got excited. And, um, yeah, I think put put Danaher back away. We won't, we won't talk about him again. <laughs> <laughs> He's he who shall not be named. All right, go Dons. <laughs>